Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. It's The Hash. If you're watching, you're watching on Coindesk TV. And if you're listening, you're on the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jensen Essie. Today, we have on the show Zach Seward and Wendy O. The whole team is here on a Tuesday. Zach, you have our first story. We're going right on over to Compass Mining. What's going on? Hard times in mining land. That's what's going on. Compass Mining, which, by the way, Will Foxley works at as the director of content, is having a hard time with a facility up in Maine. company took it to Twitter, airing out some dirty laundry yesterday and alleging that Compass Mining had not paid its bills in full. They would, in turn, be losing a Maine Bitcoin mining facility. So that's what's going on there. This is a bear market signal. We may see more of these announcements from the Bitcoin mining industry over the next weeks and months as Bitcoin mining as a proposition becomes less profitable. It's cuts like this or just beef between service providers and mining firms themselves are likely to emerge. Interesting tack here chosen by Dynamic. They're taking this public saying that there's a suit in the works. Compass Mining does not have a statement as of this time, but we will likely hear something from them soon. I'm going to toss this straight to Wendy for her initial thoughts on this Compass Mining situation. Happy to see you amazing people again. And big shout out to everybody watching. So let's talk about the initial part of this story. The fact that this company went out publicly and made these types of allegations, I don't like that. I don't like public callouts. I don't think it does anybody a service. And if, in fact, you do have to go to court later on, I just think it makes it look kind of cringe, whatever. I'm not into public callouts. But like you said, Zach, this definitely is a bear market issue. We're going to see a lot more mining farms capitulate, in my opinion. That's why I don't think that we've actually seen the bottom of Bitcoin yet, because mining economics is important. I feel like we don't give enough credit to the actual miners because they kind of, I don't want to say they control what happens to Bitcoin, but they play a really, really big part as to what's going on with Bitcoin. So I think that we will see lower when it comes to Bitcoin's price action. Again, I said consolidation between 10000 and 20000 but it is important to note what's happening with the miners and if they're unable to pay their bills or whatever the deal is. I do think that Compass will probably clap back and say, hey, blah, blah, blah. Or they've contacted legal because, again, public callouts are just kind of not good. I feel like it, sometimes they do more harm than good. 
I feel like sometimes public callouts also indicate maybe they have not been able to come to a resolution behind closed doors. And it kind of indicates for me when I see these public callouts that this is a last resort. That said, public callouts are kind of a little bit of a culture in crypto. I think we often see CEOs of exchanges on Twitter beefing it out in the public for everyone to see. Maybe it has to do with that transparency. But what I zeroed into on this article was that agreement. So all these people who have these miners that are being hosted by Compass, what's going to happen to them? And so the story points out some things in the agreement. It says the hosting agreement states that in an emergency, Compass may rearrange, remove, or relocate customer hardware without any liability to Compass. The terms also have customers waive their rights to seek remedies in court or be involved in any class action lawsuits. And so I'm curious, I'm not a lawyer. I'm curious, though, how these terms would play out in a court. If someone were to go to court, would these terms that they've agreed to actually stand up? I think a court might find that the user signing it might not have known or they might have a right to seek legal action if the terms of that contract were not fulfilled. But Zach, I saw your hand go up. I think Wendy's got a better take, so I'm going to toss it her way. saw her hand. Well, I will say that those terms are very much important. I've heard stories from different people in the industry. For example, if you use an exchange, you have to sign the terms of services. There's a little box you have to click. If you click that and something happens to your funds on those exchange, if you go try to take them to court, you're probably not going to win. Unfortunately, those are really, really hard cases to prove. So the fact that Compass Mining did have those terms in, that's unfortunate that they're there. It's like we don't read terms of services, and I feel like we need to start promoting that, which is kind of cringe because in our industry, it's supposed to be true decentralization, whatever it is. But I feel like terms of its services are really important to read, especially with stuff like this. So I think the whole thing's unfortunate. Whoever did their legal stuff was really, really smart, and I'm just not a fan of what they put into the terms of services. But thanks for calling that out, Jen. Yeah, the broader point about terms of service, I think, is really important, especially with sort of this crypto lending crisis that we're seeing here, right? You know, in the event of bankruptcy, depositors are kind of screwed, right? They're on the bottom of the cascading waterfall of paid out claims, right? And so if you look at sort of how bankruptcy protection works, a lot of these people who are depositors to say a Celsius or a BlockFi, in the event of insolvency, they're pretty low down on the totem pole in terms of whether or not they're going to be able to get their funds back. So I think it does go to, hey, read the TOS. A lot of this stuff is built on open decentralized networks, but most people interact with these systems through these centralized intermediaries that are either exchanges or lending platforms, or in this instance, you know, Compass Mining, which kind of aggregates mining power and produces something collectively. The broader point that Wendy brings up is certainly important to think about. But let's change gears. Who is taking the next one? I think it's Jen. It's me. We're going on over to Robinhood. So Robinhood shares spiked on a report that FTX might be looking to acquire it. So this is according to a report from Bloomberg. They said no formal offer had been made, but insiders said the exchange is looking at a possible deal. However, in an email to Coindesk, CEO Sam Bankman-Fried said, we are excited about Robinhood's business prospects and potential ways we could partner with them. And I've always been impressed by the business. He added that there are no active M&A conversations with Robinhood. So the key word for me here is active. My pure speculation is that they were probably in talks. SBF acquired 7.6% of Robinhood shares a few months ago. I feel like during the bull cycle, maybe there were some talks. Pen didn't hit paper. We're in a bear market now. You know, FTX is pulling back on some of their sports sponsorships, and maybe this also fell by the wayside. That is pure speculation. I have no information, but Zach, I'm going to kick it down to you. 
Yeah, I don't know. Markets are so silly, right? It's like buy the rumors, sell the news. And we saw like, you know, Robinhood stock surge yesterday on talk of SBF becoming more involved. And now it's kind of back down. But yeah, markets act interestingly on information that sometimes may or may not be fully baked. That was kind of the takeaway for me seeing this occur yesterday. There is sort of like a juicy potential future in which SBF runs everything, right? We thought we talked about this yes. in the context of you know crypto <laughs> lending platforms, right? Whether it's Voyager, whether it's BlockFi, whatever's going to happen there. But to imagine that it would also expand itself more widely into the world of traditional finance is pretty crazy to think about. I mean, in some respects, FTX is trying to do the Robinhood model, right? They're rolling out stock trading in FTX US. They're trying to bring more things to this marketplace that will make it sort of that super app that all these fintech and crypto firms are really aspiring to be. So it does make sense. You could imagine it that these two things might merge in some way, shape or form. But this seems pretty preliminary at this point, if indeed the initial report was even true. So it's going to be interesting to see what SBF times Robinhood ultimately ends up looking like. But yeah, when you buy a big stake in the company, you can imagine that some interesting discussions may be unfolding. Wendy, what are your thoughts? So if you actually follow like FTX US and some of their little other Twitter accounts that they have, they're very much bullish on regulatory framework. They're very much bullish into getting into traditional assets or offering similar traditional products to American users like on FTX US. I don't remember what new product they just offered. There's something open for beta. But once I saw that Sam did acquire some stake or Alameda, whomever it was, they did acquire some stake in Robinhood. I was like, oh my God, I know exactly what they're doing. And I am speculating here because I don't have the sources in front of me. But I do think that we are going to see FTX, especially FTX US, really get involved in traditional financial assets and offer crypto products and traditional financial asset products to the masses. And it's all going to be on one platform and you're all going to have access to it. So that's why I feel like they made that strategic investment into Robinhood for that reason. Because in that email you read, you said that they're looking to, I forget the exact verbiage, but partner or utilize some of their resources. That's what it means to me long term down the road. And I always love the sideshow that we have of Daddy Chad Sam on the show. Daddy Sam. Does Sam have too much power already? I just feel like, do we want this? Do we want Sam Bankman free to have his hands in everything? Mm -hmm. No, no, probably not. But, he's but so I, think, I think he's in the process of being built up as this billionaire hero figure. And I think the opposite of that may ultimately unfold, right? He is this sort of super smart, maybe cutthroat, but also just kind of funny dude who is himself. So he's an interesting combination of things. Whether or not he becomes sort of the titan people are sort of imagining him to become, I don't know. There's plenty of money to be made in the crypto space. And whether or not he leverages that into more TradFi ownership, stuff. I don't know. Wendy, what are your thoughts? One of the things I kind of want to say, I guess, in closing, I don't know, is that he's still a real person. Like, I feel that we see people in mainstream media or like crypto media and we look at them like, oh, they're this or that. They have money. They did this or that. But realistically, like they're just people. They're just people like you and I. They get up the same way. They go to sleep the same way. They put the shoes on the same way. Well, maybe some people don't put their shoes on the Sam same way. Sam doesn't put shoes know, my... on the same way. Well, my daughter puts the wrong shoes on her feet. <laughs> So I don't know. I just feel like we should look at people as people. And that's all I just wanted. To I'm say. with you on that. The lionization of these people does feel weird. When did Jeff Bezos become Jeff Bezos, right? When did Steve Jobs ascend to cult hero status? It's sort of this weird, I don't know, fascination that I think the media or just humans in general have. They want to establish these characters that we can then relate to through their highs and their lows. And I think Sam is sort of in this weird process of becoming one of those characters. And sometimes it feels kind of icky. 
to see it unfold in the mainstream press. But who knows? Jen, what are your thoughts? When I said he's so lovable, our producer wrote us and said, maybe he's cutthroat, not lovable. And you just mentioned all these characters, Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos. And to achieve that level of wealth and to achieve what they've achieved, you can't always be doing the right thing for all the people under you. And so Sam is portrayed as this lovable character in crypto who's out here to save everyone. And I would just love to know the other side of that story. Maybe we'll get it one day. Yeah, I don't know. There's something extremely human about that desire for like archetypical character types. And I think Sam is sort of stepping into that in a weird way. But hey, I don't know. What's the next crypto analog? CZ? Would he be the person who's sort of on the downswing of this lionization? We saw him on Bloomberg Business Week cover and he wasn't happy with what that was ultimately framed as. But hey, I don't know. Let's change gears. Let's go to hardware wallets. Let's stop talking about human stuff and talk about hardware wallets. <laughs> Wendy, please. Okay, you guys, this is actually a really positive story. And one of the reasons why this is such a positive story is I'm screaming at my TikTok audience to remove their stuff from centralized exchanges and learn how to use cold storage. And I even made a video on YouTube for yesterday. Anyways, according to Coindesk, we love Coindesk, Ledger Live adds yield earning capability via Alchemy Earn. So the integration with Alchemy will provide Ledger users with the ability to earn yield for the first time. I think this is absolutely amazing. I mean, I haven't done a complete review or overview of Alchemy Earn, so I can't say if it's like how legit or how safe it is. But basically, Alchemy Earn is a lending borrowing protocol that utilizes a permission liquidity pool of digital assets comprising of ETH, wrapped Bitcoin, and some stable coins. And basically, you can put your crypto to work on Alchemy protocols without them leaving the safety of a ledger. So I love passive income. I think passive income is absolutely amazing. However, one thing I do like to talk about is the impermanent lossing and knowing the risk of that. Also too, I'd want to do further analysis of Alchemy Earn and see like how safe it is, how their pools work, because there's not really a whole lot of information on that. I don't want people just to be like, oh, this is great. And then remove their crypto from centralized exchanges, put on a ledger and then use this. And then something completely happen and their stuff get taken. I don't know how that works. Who wants this? Who wants a comment on this? Let's beef about passive income. And why, why should we feel the expectation of passive income? Because I think people are getting wrecked right now because of this desire to get passive income. They're like, okay, I got some Bitcoin. Let me put it in Celsius and see what happens. Oh, I got some Bitcoin. Let me put it in BlockFi and see what happens. I want that passive income. Maybe we need to reorient our thinking about what these digital assets can provide and whether or not that's something that should be encouraged in the space, right? Self-custody is cool. Once you self-custody it, you can't really do anything with it. It's safe. You're shouldering the opportunity cost of not having those assets in the market. I get that. But some of these centralized intermediaries that have provided yield, or even the decentralized ones, if you look at like Anchor Protocol, some of these have failed catastrophically in recent months. And maybe the expectation that there should be passive income on these assets needs to be recalibrated. Maybe this is a safer place to recalibrate that expectation. TBD, I also haven't looked at the details as it relates to what Alchemy does once those assets are out there generating yield. But it is something to think about in these markets, whether or not just actually hodling is probably the way to do it. I don't know. But Jen, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, so I completely agree with you, Zach. I do think, though, this is an interesting opportunity for people who use Ledger. So when I tell people about hardware wallets, I kind of help beginners in my life set up their Ledger. And for every single person I've helped, they've said how easy it is. It's really easy to set up a Ledger wallet. And so I think during the bear cycle, if Ledger can start to offer more DeFi products to people who are using Ledger, and we can get ready for a mainstream audience when the next bull cycle comes around, 
I think it may be really interesting to offer these people easy access to DeFi because right now it's really complicated to find some of these lending products and figure out how to work them and find borrowing products and figure out how to work those. And I think during this time, if we can be safe about how we experiment with these and products like Ledger can start to implement different DeFi elements, I think it will be beneficial for people when we hit the next bull. But stay safe out there because I also haven't looked into Alchemy Earn. One of the last things I want to say about it is, yes, it is important to own the keys and like custody of your crypto being self-sovereign, especially your Bitcoin. And DeFi is very much a part of crypto. There's a lot of things I like about DeFi and there's a lot of things I don't like. I like the fact that I can use like a CeFi or DeFi platform and get a loan because in Southern California, it's literally impossible to get a loan for a small business. Very, very, very hard to do so. So I like people being able to have access to traditional financial products, but through DeFi. But at the same time, I think that we're kind of witnessing, especially during this bear market, we're going to see so much more building happen. I feel like DeFi will really be a lot more usable in the next bull run because we've seen all these mistakes, all these terrible things that happen. I forget which one of you brought up Anchor, but the way Anchor was done, I think, was a lot different than the way it was supposed to be, especially we're talking about algorithmic stablecoin. And we're talking about utilizing assets. I think it's at Ethereum, wrap Bitcoin, and some stable coins. So those assets are a lot different than an algo back stable coin, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever. So I'm excited for this. But again, I want to do more research and see what this means. Like, is this sustainable? Like, how exactly this is going to work? What the rates are going to be and how safe it is. And I mean, yeah, self-custody is cool, right? I think that transparency that occurs with self-custody is something that a lot of people have been saying, hey, you know, if these lenders were actually sort of transparent and on-chain, like we would be able to interact with and understand the risk parameters far better than these sort of opaque black boxes that ultimately recreate some of the pain points of the traditional finance system. And we're seeing this sort of forced deleveraging event occur now because of it. So I think DeFi and the prospect of DeFi is super powerful and cool because it does, like Wendy said, it speaks to the promise of self-sovereign finance, right? Which is the point of crypto, right? The point is to at least have the option to be your own bank should you feel comfortable doing it, right? I think centralized services are great. They eliminate a lot of the pain points of being your own bank because being your own bank can suck, right? That's your problem at the end of the day. Some people opt instead to have a custodial arrangement that makes it more convenient for them. But really at the core of crypto and at the core of Bitcoin is this idea of self-sovereign finance and the ability to self-custody your assets without having to rely on a big business that you are simply a customer of. So I think the more people sort of wake up to that, and maybe this is that moment where people are waking up to that. They're saying, hey, these centralized services do have some pretty big flaws in them. Maybe I am going to look for self-custodial options that work for me and work for my comfort with either putting these assets to work or letting them sit idle. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see if this is a model that ultimately gains steam, the sort of hybrid self-custody, but also some yield. That might be something that ultimately finds its footing. All right, Wendy, last thought on this one. It's Taco Tuesday, by Just the way. A, is it Taco? Oh my goodness. Guys, stop. Yeah. Even when it's not it's, Tuesday, it's we talk Tuesday. about Taco Tuesday. We get up. Now it's Tuesday, Taco Tuesday. It's Tomorrow Tuesday. we're going to be like, yesterday was Taco Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are. All I'm, all I'm going anyway. to say about this um, is I hope that I can still earn passive income on my stuff on my ledger so I can use that passive income to buy tacos because it is a bear market. <laughs> but all serious, I can't. <laughs> but all seriousness, just as long as I'm earning more than I am in my bank, because literally our, your bank pays you nothing. It's actually quite embarrassing to see what the bank pays you and then how much they lend our money out. And we won't get started on that because I'll be ranting and raving for the next five hours <laughs> about this. So that's all I have to say about that. Maybe there's some Taco Tuesday opportunities out there. Maybe Dollar Taco, Dollar Taco Day. I think we could find it in this market. I think it's out there. 
Papa Zach. Uh, <laughs> we can't. Yeah, we need to workshop that one. But yeah, we were talking about Papa Zach's uh, potato tacos yesterday on the show. So that might be a side business that you're going to see. Emerge ASMR tacos and coin desk news. It's it's a match made in heaven. <laughs> Boom. All right. That's it for the day. It's the hash. We're the show that you're watching. I'm Zach. That's Wendy. <laughs> That's Jen. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for checking us out here or on your social media platform of choice. Thanks for checking us out on the podcast as well over on the Coindesk Podcast Network. That's it for today. Thanks so much. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 